Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We start this new series. Uh, One of the most prevalent and enduring types of stress in our culture, as we start this new year to think about, is financial stress. Over the last few years, there's been, there have been any number of things that have contributed, contributed to helping to fuel that stress in our lives. We've come through a global pandemic. We've had this persistent news of the looming recession, high inflation, fueling ever-increasing prices. And there's that sense that my pursuit of keeping up financially at times isn't going so well. And when that happens, potentially that impacts every other area of our lives. I read a survey this week that reported that 70% of U.S. adults said that money was having a negative impact on their mental health. They are financially stressed. And of those that cited, uh, cited that in, in that survey that cited that stressor of finances, they said 29% said that they worry about it every day. Another data point, again, as I was doing some research this week, 58% of Americans, Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Even households of those making over $150,000, the, the, this, uh, this survey said, these statistics said that 50%, even of those households, are living paycheck to paycheck. Astounding. We could go on, but I think you get the picture. And so, welcome to this cheery introduction to our new series. Um, And so, we're going to talk about strapped. We're going to talk about finding finding freedom in our finances. And in case that's a term that you're not familiar with, strapped, uh, if you look it up, just describe someone who... uh, who doesn't have enough money or at least doesn't think that they have enough money. That person is strapped financially. I think back to when Crystal and I were first in ministry. Uh, we had just gotten married. We'd moved to a small town in a small church in central Illinois, and we were strapped for cash. I don't know if you've heard the old adage, uh, someone that doesn't have two nickels to rub together. We literally did not have two nickels to rub together uh, for a number of years then. We, we understood what it was to be strapped. So as we enter this new year, strapped, finding financial freedom. That's what we want to we talk about. We want to start off the new year working towards finding as we look at and apply God's word. How can we find financial freedom? How can we find peace instead of that stress? That so many of us experience. I've been reading a book in preparation for this series. Dave, Paul David Tripp wrote a book called Redeeming Money, and he wrote this. He said, I am deeply persuaded that we will never make proper sense of the world of money, which influences us perhaps more deeply than we realize unless we first put on our gospel glasses. If you and I don't let the gospel of Jesus Christ correct our assumptions about life, we won't be able to evaluate and gain ground in the way we understand and relate to money and make practical money decisions. So today we want to take Tripp's advice and we want to put on our gospel glasses. We want to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to look at an interaction that Jesus has that's been titled the story of the rich young ruler. And we're going to put on our gospel glasses as we look at money and finances and wealth and affluence and Get some help. So picture this. A young man, well-dressed, seemingly successful by societal standards, approaches Jesus with an earnest question in his heart. He asks him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In response, Jesus peers into his soul. 
addressing not just his question about eternity, but an issue ingrained deep within many of us, our relationship with wealth. Financial bondage, as we kind of said in some of that introduction, is a widespread reality, shackles countless lives in invisible, invisible, invisible chains, robbing us of the freedom that Jesus said could be ours in Christ. So the tale of the rich young ruler isn't just an interesting historical anecdote, but it's a mirror reflecting the struggles that many of us face today. A struggle with the entanglements of wealth, the allure of possessions, the deceptive promise of financial security. So we look at this story, what we'll find is the, the reality of what was going on is as applicable then as he was talking in, in the midst of his disciples and helping them understand some things and helping this church young ruler, he can help us as well today. Our world teems with individuals trapped in the clutches of death, debt, debt ensnarled in the pursuit of affluence, burdened by the weight of financial decisions that are made without applying the truth, the wisdom that we can find in God's word. And so as we look at this interaction, woven in this interaction with this rich young ruler lies wisdom and guidance that we can apply in our own lives and break free from the chains of what we could call financial folly. So today, let's jump in. Let's see what Jesus has to teach us, and we're going to use this as we, as again, doing what Tripp said to do. We need to put on our gospel glasses, and if we let, let this interaction be a foundation that's going to help us through this entire uh, next few weeks, just get us centered on what really matters. Let, let, let God help us to understand what the, the key issues as they relate to understanding and relating to money and wealth and affluence and all that. So let me read the text, and again, you'll find it in Luke chapter 18, then we'll go back and we'll talk about some of the different things within the, within the story. Luke 18, starting in verse 18. And a ruler asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, well, all of these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so let's look at that first verse there in chapter 18. And a ruler said, Good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the interesting thing in this particular story is that it appears in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this interaction. And as I've kind of described before, because we see some different little things in these three different accounts of this of this story, uh, and we see that in other places as well, other stories or interactions that the, the Gospels record. Imagine that... There are three people, each standing on a different, uh, three of the four corners of an intersection. And at that intersection, as they're standing there, a, cr- a crash, an accident happens. And uh, the police come and they're taking reports of people that witnessed the crash. And each of those individuals standing on a different 
corner of that same intersection seeing the same crash, they're going to tell the police as they record the incident, they're going to have a little different detail. They're going to have a little different perspective. And so here in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have these three individuals that are standing at different street corners watching the same interaction, and they highlight or include a few things that others don't at times. And so one of the things that you see as, as he asks this question that Luke doesn't include but Mark does include is that the man runs up to Jesus. And Mark includes that he bows before Jesus. That tells us something about the interaction. Tells us that as he comes running up to Jesus that he's excited about, about maybe that Jesus can help him with this question. He kneels before Jesus, which just is this indication that he has respect for Jesus, that he sees him as someone in authority, someone that maybe has some answers to the question that he's struggling with. And so, again, as we look at the composite of these three different takes on this same story, one of the things that we see is that this guy, is, he's a ruler, and, and we don't know exactly what, in this context, we look at that, that Greek word, we don't know exactly what it meant specifically, what kind of ruler he was, but what we know from, from that term is that in their culture, again, there's a lot of things that, that might have indicated of his position, but what we do know is that he was a person of power, he was a person of influence, somewhat, someone of some import, and so he was a ruler. We also know that Matthew includes that he's young. And then all three Gospels include that he's a man of great wealth. And so when you put that all together, that's why we have the title or the summary of this story called the story of the rich young ruler. And he's coming to Jesus again and he has a very sincere question he wants to ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? A great question. And even with his status, and, and we, what, what, what did we learn? That he's young, that he's a ruler, that he's uh, very wealthy. And in our culture, what does that mean in most cases? That's what, that's, that's what our culture wants to worship. You know, power and affluence and money and wealth and, and youth. And he's got everything, but yet, and probably not much different in his culture than ours. But yet, in that moment, he realizes that there is something missing. How many examples in our culture? Celebrities from movie stars to sports heroes, people that appear on Forbes' richest people list from year to year to year, even people that in some massive flash-in-the-pan winning of the lottery now have more money than they know what to do with that they've ever had in their entire lives. But how many of them have said at moments when they're real and honest, you know, it didn't do what I thought it would. Money, wealth, affluence. Didn't bring the happiness that I thought that it would. They like the rich young ruler. They understand that something is still missing. And so he comes and he asks the question. And Jesus replies to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so it's often the case with Jesus. He uh, uh, responds to a question with a question. And he asks him, well, only God's good. Are you calling me good? And in this moment, Jesus, he's not denying his divinity. He's actually affirming it when he says, only God is good. So are you seeing me as God? Is that why you said that? 
Jesus goes on, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And so Jesus is, is really testing him to see if he really understands the gospel. Again, what are we doing here in week one? We want to put on our gospel glasses and we want to be reminded of what the gospel actually says. And if you've been around here for, for a little bit, you know, because we talk about a lot what the gospel really says. And the gospel says that you can't earn your way to salvation. You can't earn your way to heaven. There's not a path in doing that gets you, uh, earns you favor with God. That's not how it works. You can, you, you, we can't perfectly keep the law. The law has no power to save. James 2.10 reminds us that whoever keeps the law, whole law, but then fails at one point is guilty of failing all of it. So in other words, there's no way that you can keep all the law and there's no way the law can save. So in other words, there is no way that doing things is a path to salvation. And he asks the question, what must I do? And, and as he responds to Jesus, as Jesus you know, said some of, the, some of the commandments, he's trying to help him to see what's going on in his own heart. He has a low view of sin and his own sin. Well, I've kept all those since I was young. He saw sin as superficial. He, I don't think he was there at the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. He said, you know what, you've, you, you've heard it said you shouldn't kill, but if you've wished someone dead or you've, you've wished someone harm, you've already, you've already done that deed in your heart. In other words, there is this high standard that none of us can ever hope to attain that's deeper than you even realize. But yet he thought it was okay because he was measuring his goodness against maybe the goodness of other people. And I'm sure he was probably a really good guy. And he probably did a really good job on most days keeping the law and keeping the commandments. But Jesus knew his heart. And he knew he loved money and he knew he loved his possessions more than he loved God. And what did Jesus teach on a number of occasions when asked what the most important commandment is? And he, he said, well, you can sum, sum all of them up in this. Love the Lord your God with your all your heart, with everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And yet we see this guy, his heart was not totally surrendered to God. The true condition of his heart, the true condition of his soul. Jesus could look within, as Jesus is very good, he can look within and he can see what's really going on. And when he heard this, he said to him, Jesus says to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus challenges him to go sell everything. And I want you to make sure that you catch something that Luke doesn't include that Mark does. It's really important. Mark records that just before he tells him to go sell everything and give to the poor, just before he says that, it says that he loved this rich young ruler. That he loved him. And we see the motivation of why Jesus is having this difficult conversation with him. Why Jesus is, is, is trying to help him to see what's going on in his heart. Trying to, to move him to, to get it and really get it and to see what really matters. And, and how wealth and affluence had, had this grip on his heart. He's saying it to him because he loves him. And friend, God has you here today because he loves you. And we're talking about this today. Because as your pastor, I love you and I want you to understand what God's truth says in a world that 
has so many of us shackled in, in, in wrong ideas about finances and affluence and wealth and possessions and all the things that we can be set free as Jesus wants this man to be set free. And so he challenges him. He says, go sell everything you have. And again, he's, he's motivated by his love for him. And why did Jesus do that? He's, he's trying to test him. He's, 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 he's telling him to sell everything and give to the poor. He isn't teaching us that, that that's what we all have to do, that all of us have to go sell everything and give it away. Jesus isn't telling us that money or things are evil, then we have to, get, again, get rid of everything. Jesus isn't teaching us that we are saved uh, by by abdicating you know, all of our wealth and, and giving it away, giving it away to, to someone else. It's just this particular guy in this particular situation, Jesus saw what was going on in his heart, and he addresses the issue that this guy has. And the grip that money and stuff and affluence and possessions had on him, and he wanted to help him. Do you really love God? You actually really love your stuff. And we see his heart in his response. Look at verse 23. And when he heard these things, when the rich young ruler heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Money was his God. And he loved it more than he loved God. And notice what his choice does to him. He became very sad as he walks away. And we see in our world a similar impact as, as we, or people that we know, as we make choices. And we make the choice to put things or wealth or affluence or climbing that ladder or whatever it is. When we put those things above God, we may not connect the dots, but we walk away sad. And there is discontent that will come one day when we make that choice. It came immediately for this guy. Sometimes it comes later, but it will inevitably come. Money does not buy happiness. Some of you are thinking, but it sure helps. Okay, I get that. But he was discontented. He goes away sad. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, in verse 24, turns to his disciples, and now he kind of has this teaching moment, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so it's a teaching moment. It's a teaching moment for his disciples. It's a teaching moment for us. What's he trying to teach us? And it's important as we think about what he's trying to teach us to think about what he's not teaching us. Like I said, he's not saying that riches and possessions and things are bad or evil. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying that possessing riches keeps someone from heaven. We see people that had great wealth that God used in powerful ways through Scripture. People like Abraham or Job or David or Solomon. The problem is not possessions. The problem is when our possessions possess us. Wealth gives us that false sense of security and success, which can lead us to the false narrative that, well, maybe I don't really need God. I don't have to really rely on God. I've got it taken care of. And look at verse 26. And when those who heard it said, then those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I want to make sure that I included this, this verse 27 so we got this. 
Jesus is telling them as they're like, well, it's be impossible then. Well, with man it is. Because we can. Go back. What The guy wanted to know what he could do. And you can't do enough. You can never do enough. You can't give enough away to earn your salvation. But what man can't do, what we can't earn, Jesus did for us. It's been done for us. And so what is impossible with man, I can't earn my salvation. I can't do it on my own. God does through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection makes possible our salvation. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, so in the next few minutes that we have left, let's just real quick, what are the strategies that Jesus, I think, wants to teach us today that will help to foolproof our finances? And the first thing that I think we get from this story is it all starts with surrender. It all starts with surrender. This rich young ruler was unwilling to surrender. He was unwilling to submit because he has a, had a false narrative in his mind. He had a false perspective of his, of his sin. He thought that the way to God, to God, the path to God was pleasing God by doing things for God. That's how you get connected to God. That's the path to salvation. He thought it was all about doing, which is another way to say striving. Jesus trying to help him to understand it's not about doing, it's not about striving after God, it's about surrender. Remember, what did he say? What must I do? And it's not striving, it's surrender. He didn't understand the imperative that we see throughout Jesus' interaction with people, we see throughout the New Testament, we see throughout Scripture that the imperative is to surrender, to love God first not to love wealth, to surrender and align our resources with God's purposes. So we, as, as God said to Abraham, I'm going to, Abram, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. And that's what we see as we align our purposes with God's purpose. Financial freedom doesn't start with learning financial principles. Financial freedom doesn't start with knowing the qualities of good investments. Financial freedom doesn't begin with structuring a wise and workable budget. Financial freedom doesn't begin with being debt-free. Financial freedom, a healthy, peace-inducing, anxiety-proofing view of finances begins with surrender. Of submitting and surrendering and loving God with everything. And putting nothing in front of God. Willingly and joyfully surrendering to the one who created us knows what we need, and rules what we can never control. Tripp also said this in that book, we were never created to live for little more than our personal comfort, pleasure, happiness, and success. In God's plan for us, we will never find rest of heart that we all seek until we live according to the purpose and the glory of the one who created us. Self-sovereignty, he writes, is a delusion. Self-rule never goes anywhere good. And again, we need to start by surrendering. Surrendering to the lordship of Christ in every area of our lives, including our finances and our money. The second strategy that we see that I think we see in this interaction with Jesus and the rich young ruler is that we, like Jesus is trying to get him to see, we need to keep an eye on our heart. We need to keep an eye on what's going on in us. Money and the love of it had poisoned this guy's heart. Money had overcome him, had 
And it can control us as well. And we can have the same thing. Our attitudes, our desires, our priorities regarding money, it reflects the condition of our heart. And the first step in correcting the problem is realizing that we have a problem, being self-aware. And so that's why we must keep an eye on our heart. Christ is really good at seeing through the facade, through the mask that we put on. He can see what's really going on in us. He could see in this young man the grip that money had on him. And he challenged him in this interaction. And that's what what he's doing with us today. You are here today because he wants to challenge us. And here in week one of this series, in this new year, to get, as we put our gospel glasses on, again, a clear understanding that financial issues are heart issues. And we can do all the right things when it comes to money. We can follow Dave Ramsey and do the total money makeover or remits, whatever that guy's name is. I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, we can listen to his podcast all the time. We can, we, can spend, we can spend millions of dollars having lunch with Warren Buffett and get all the financial information that he and advice that he has to give us. And we can put it into practice exactly as he prescribes and still miss the mark. If our heart isn't right, it's all pointless. We must keep an eye on our heart just like Jesus was trying to help our friend, the rich young ruler. He was doing a lot of things really well, but yet he still had a heart issue. He had not allowed his finances to to have the, the right and the correct place in his life. And scripture records his reaction in verse 23 again. But when he heard these things, he became sad for he was extremely rich. And then one final thing we see in this interaction, a strategy we see, is that we need to let Christ speak into our lifestyle. This rich young ruler was unwilling to let Christ speak into his life. Jesus told him to go sell everything and give it to the poor. I don't think he was really saying that that's what he had to do. I think he was trying to test him, trying to get him to think about what he really valued and what he really loved. And so just the question, are you willing to let Christ speak into your life? Into your finances? Are you willing to give him control of every area, including the finances? Are you willing to let him have control? Are you willing to listen to Christ when it comes to salvation and eternal life and heaven and hell and anxiety and peace and and some of any of those areas? You're good, but then when he gets to this part of life, like, okay, it's all right. I've got this under control. I don't need to listen to anything you have to say on this particular issue. I'm good. I don't need to apply the principles, the truth of Scripture, because I've got it figured out. We need to let Christ speak into our lifestyle. Do we allow the truth of God's Word, the principles that we see, impact the decisions that we make with our money? And in the course of the next few weeks, we're just going to look at principles that we see in Scripture that will help us, help us to find freedom. And so, let's just ask ourselves a couple of questions as we conclude here today. Will I commit in week one to apply God's word to my life, my whole life? Secondly, will I commit here in week one to be willing to open my mind and my heart to see what God has to teach me in this very sensitive, on this very sensitive topic that we often want to separate from the rest of our lives? We want to separate our spiritual life from our financial life, this part of our life. But am I willing to allow God to speak to me?
and to be obedient. Clearly, Jesus is teaching that these two worlds are intertwined, the material and the spiritual. And Jesus has, been, has often be, has been said, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. So the rich young ruler walked away sad. He walked away unchanged. He walked away unwilling to surrender. Unwilling to look at his life and the attitude that he had toward money and wealth and things. He was unwilling to make changes. He was unwilling to submit his life and his finances to Christ. But friends, no one needs to walk away sad today. No one. Let's commit to, in this series, to surrender our lives, every part of our lives to Christ and to his lordship. Which brings me to a great question for week one. If you have never invited Christ to be your Savior, I would invite you, will you make that decision today? Maybe you're here and, and you want to start a, you know, start a new, you know, turn over a new leaf spiritually in your life. And maybe you've wandered away and maybe you're home or maybe you've come back or maybe you've never and, and you're here today. I just want to encourage you. We're going to pray in just a moment. And I would invite you to invite Christ to be your Savior. That's a great way to start. And let him be Lord and start off this new year with him being Lord of every area of your life. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. We're going to throw up on the screen. There's a QR code. If you've never invited Christ to be your Savior or if you'd like to come back, we'd love to put some resources in your hand. You can scan this QR code. We'd love to have a conversation with you. And so I'll be hanging out afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Christ. We've got people here in the room that have lanyards on, and we're going to take communion. We're going to prepare our hearts now for that. Uh, and as they are kind of in the the back of the room, or just look for them. They've got lanterns on. They'd love to pray with you. If you've got some need, uh, something going on in your life, we're here for you. We'd love to pray with you. And so let's take communion. There's no better way to realign our lives and our priorities and who is really Lord than to think about what Christ did for us. To think about the the bread that represents the body of Christ, the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross, the, the new life that we can have in Christ. And as we think about what Christ did, and he invites us to come follow him, to take up our cross and follow him. He invites us to absolute, total surrender. Will you totally surrender today? And so just look within. This is the Lord's table. It's not ours. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to take communion here today. It's at these tables on either side of me. You can come. You can spend a few moments. You can kneel. Take some time. We've got a couple songs, so there's no rush. Just take a few moments. Let's pray before the Lord. Let's get our heart right before the Lord. Let's evaluate where we are. And if I am have given every area of my life into his lordship, and suddenly read this passage and we'll pray. And then as we worship, I would invite you to take communion. We'll have somebody that will walk around if you can't get up and kneel. Uh, they could, they'd love to come and come to where you are. Just make eye contact with them as they walk around the room. For I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often, often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Father, over these next few moments as we worship you, we're going to take some time, God, and I pray that you, just like Jesus did so long ago with the church young ruler, 
God, we give you permission to open up our heart and probe the deepest parts of who we are. And God, if there is something that is not what it needs to be, if there's some thing that we love more than you, if there's some, some attitude that we have through our, about our wealth and our affluence and our finances and our possessions, if it comes between us and you, God, I pray in Christ's name that you'd help us to surrender that to you today. And I pray for that person, maybe God, for the very first time today that wants to surrender to make your son their savior and their Lord. God, thank you for forgiving them. Thank you for setting them free. Thank you for the freedom that we can find in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. And so work in our hearts. We want to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name.